Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Okay, I know this isn't in my notes, so they won't have it. Uh, pull up, if you guys will turn your Bibles to Matthew 6. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Oh, we got one guy and waiting, waiting. All right, amen. Everybody's quiet. Um. Verse 33, it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. This verse right here is is a really interesting verse because what it's telling you is this. The kingdom of God and righteousness is the pinnacle, is the thing that you should base your life on because everything else will come from it, right? I'm sorry, I'm like looking this way, getting used to this speaking thing in front of people. But um, can you guys hear me okay? All right. So my point is God's designed this life in such a way that you can have everything that you need by living godly, righteously, right? And seeking the kingdom. And, and that's really what I was thinking about after I got finished with my notes here. I was thinking about what, what is this? Really, this whole message can be summed up in, the, in this one verse. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. And that, that's the most important thing for a Christian to know. That God's going to take care of you in any circumstance. He's going to take care of you in every way. If you just do these two things. Just be obedient. So my, the title of my sermon is Successfully Partnering with the Word of God. And uh, Luke eight eleven. And I feel like I just have a bunch of verses in here, so good luck to everyone who follows me today. <laughs> My wife's laughing because she knows it's true. <laughs> um, Jesus said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. We know that, that God's word is a seed, meaning that it produces something, right? Um, Meaning that the word of God actually will go and accomplish a goal. It accomplishes exactly what he sent it to do. It's the law of seed time and harvest. A seed produces of its kind. So if the word of God is a seed, that means it produces of the same thing. It goes into the ground. It goes into whatever it was planted into. And it produces according to what he said. Right? And if you go to Isaiah 55, 11, 
so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing in which I sent it. Meaning that when God plants a seed, it will produce fruit. God only plants good seeds. God doesn't plant a seed and it falls on the wayside. God plants good seed and it will produce. God plants perfect seeds. So, let me see my notes here. So, like I said, when God plants a seed, it will accomplish its purpose. So, God will accomplish what he says. An example, um, I'm going to go, we're just going to turn your Bibles to Genesis 38. And while you're going there, I'm going to read just one verse in uh, Genesis 49. And this verse says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. And what, what this is meaning is that the house of Judah, we have 12 sons, right? The house of Judah will have the Messiah come through his heritage, right? So God establishes in Genesis, he says, through Judah's line, through Judah's tribe, that the Messiah will come from it. But did you know that there was actually an issue with that? Judah's first two sons, We'll just read the story. In Genesis 38, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass at that time, and this is right after they sold their, he sold his brother into slavery. This is the next chapter. It says, And it came to pass that Judah went down from his brethren and turned to a certain uh, Automite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw that there was a, saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shunah. Shua, and she and he took her and went into her, and she conceived and bare a son. Son, and his name was Ur. So Judah's first son was Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son. Son, and she called his name Shela, and he was and he was at Chesbib. And when she bear him. So you, you have this setup where Judah, he, he gets out of his, uh, his father's land. And he goes into another land where he's basically running from the things in which he did. It, if you understand what I'm saying, he had a guilt. He was, he was trying to save his brother. He had the idea, let's sell him into slavery. Let's not kill him. Right? And so Judah took a wife for his son, Ur, his firstborn, whose name, uh, and her name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And so you start thinking about Judah in this case, that Judah is a man who's grieved. He sold his own brother into slavery. And he's not even in his father's home country. And then he, he has a child, and he has another child, and he has another child, and he finds the first, the first one a wife. But he's killed by the Lord, saying he was evil saying that the evil deeds that he did caused his own death, right? And Ur's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Verse 8, it says, And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her, and raise her, uh, raise her up a seed to thy brother. 
So Onan is given this responsibility, and it's kind of weird, in my opinion, but it's the way the culture was. If Ur died before he had a child, then it was his brother's responsibility to give his older brother a son, his younger brother, or uh, give them children. And so that's what Judah commanded Onan to do. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. So it actually wouldn't be Onan's son. It would have been his brother Ur's son, even though it came from himself. Right? And it came to pass, when he went, went in to his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest he should give his seed to his brother. So Onan, <laughs> I know this is a funny verse to read. We're all adults here, right? <laughs> okay. But... um. You see, Onan, he, he was offended. He was a man who spilled his own seed off the ground. And, the thing in which, and this thing displeased the Lord, wherefore he also slew him. And then, then said to Tamar, Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in thy father's house till Shelah shall be grown up. For he said, shall preadventure he die? So he didn't want his other son to die. He'd already lost two sons. He didn't want his other son to die. And Tamar went and dwelt with in her father's house. So I think it's really, really important. The reason I read this whole story is actually because I wanted to focus on Onan. Onan is, is, is really an interesting, an interesting story. Because it's somebody who has the capacity to do his due diligence to see that the Messiah comes through his heritage. But he lined up with the enemy in a fence and cut it off. Do you guys see what I'm saying? He, he, he decided he was going to withhold the thing that was inside of him, the thing that he could produce, seed, right? It, it's inside of you. It's something that you, that you have inside of you that you're capable of reproducing. Right? And, and there's, there's so many things that are inside of each one of us, right? Whether it be a book inside of you, or whether it be uh, an invention inside of you, or whether you're a wonderful worship leader and you have to come up here and sing in front of a bunch of people with a pad on. You, you know what I mean? Uh, there's something inside of you that, that is meant to reproduce. And, and so many people, they withhold that from God. So many people, they come and, and, they, and they, they don't give everything that they are. There's something inside of them that they refuse to give. And God sees this as evil. Like, and that's such an interesting concept to me. Because this message, it's titled, Successfully Partnering with the Word of God. And what you see Onan doing is, he, and he sees, and he's committing, and he's going, and then he removes himself. And he, and he just refuses to follow through with what God had given him. And that's just... That's powerful because it's showing you the evil that can be in someone's heart because of offense, because they don't want to grow something that somebody else has. Do you guys understand? Hallelujah. And so what's also important about this story is what happens afterwards. Now, now you have Tamar. She's waiting for the other son. But you find out Judah's not giving it to her, giving him to her. He's not fulfilling his promise. So what happens is Judah's wife 
Judah's wife, died. And um, Judah went into another country, and, and he, as he's there, Tamar knew about it. And so what she does is she disguises herself as a prostitute and basically takes advantage of Judah and, and has a child with, with Judah. And um, th there's more to the story. You can go back to Genesis and read it. But basically, Judah has twins because of this. See, what was a plan from the enemy to stop the the reign or the coming of the Messiah was actually superseded by God himself. And why I say by God, because what ended up happening is God allows all things to work to the good of those who call upon his name. Or So even in evil, God was still able to have his will be done, right? So hallelujah on that. Oh, look at that. Two pages down. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll say this. I was joking with Bryson earlier, and I am... <laughs> it may look like I have the world's longest sermon right here, but I know, I know how it is to come up here. It, it's, it's kind of miserable because you're, like, you're kind of shaky. You're like, ah, I love you guys. I love all of you. Um, and... and and it's so wonderful to talk to you guys. And, and, and I know that I, I'm kind of being dry and, <laughs> and things like that. But my point is this. I know how fast you can go through notes. So hopefully, I'm not going too fast for you guys. And if I am, you guys just you raise your hand. And you say, hold up. Hold up. I need you to be a little more <laughs> whatever. But... Um, I just think it's, I think all of this concept, it's really, really interesting because it, it, if you really take some time and you really focus on it and you focus on what is God's plan for my life? What is it? How can I accomplish God's plan? And, and that's really what I want to bring to you guys. That, that's really what, what needs to be brought to this church, what needs to be brought to the people so that they can live a successful life in God. And, and, and so when you bring up examples of people in the Bible where they're like, hey, you know what, this person didn't get it, or this person did, it, those things are important because we can, all scripture can be used to edify us. All scripture can be used for correction. It, you, who knows, maybe there's somebody in here or somebody watching online that says, hey, you know what, I am withholding something from the church. How does God look at that? And so it's not me being judgmental, it's just me saying, there's something very serious about God growing his church. Because what I said in the beginning, if God says a word and he builds something or he makes something, he will see to it to make it. And if you're not attaching yourself to that, well, if you're not with me, you're against me. Amen. So the Lord will see to it that his tree will sprout and grow fruit. You will find that God causes all to work to his will, even evil people. But only those willing and obedient will eat the good of the land. Meaning, only those who are good, or willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. And, right? Not just obedient, but willing to do his work. And that's, that's what you see in Onan. He's like, he wasn't either one. And, and, and so... 
You, you can't just be half-hearted into this. You have to be full-hearted into what the will of God is. You have to take it and you have to say, no, your will be my will. Your will be my will. Your will be my will. Amen. Uh, another example, uh, I took a New Testament example. In Romans 11, if you guys want to turn there, you can, but it's going to be on the screen. Um, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourself. Some people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will only last until the full number of the Gentiles comes to Christ. So what, what's um, Paul addressing right here? He's addressing the promise of Israel, right? We talked in the beginning, and I told you in Genesis 49 that the Messiah, I actually, I must have missed a point actually. It's in here. Well, God chose the Israelites. God chose the Israelites that he would bless them, that they would be his personal possession, that they would be his people. But what you find is through having a hard heart, I'm missing a page. It's out of order. Sorry, my page has got to order. Give me one second. Ah, now I know why I was confused. <laughs> um, so, a New Testament example. Let's go to Matthew 3, and we'll return back to Romans 11. So John the Baptist, he's, a, he's baptizing in the Jordan River. So Matthew 3, 7 through 10. But when John the Baptist saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of sin and turned to God. And I've, I believe that's a sermon in itself. I actually just, this is not what this sermon's about. But prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Like, hallelujah. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. So what's God pointing out here? He's pointing out something really, or really, really interesting. Don't just think because you are a son that God will use you to accomplish his will. Amen? That's what happened with Onan. Okay. That means nothing. For I tell you, God created his, chil his children Abraham. God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots from the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. It's exactly what I've been telling you guys. If you don't produce good fruit, if you don't produce fruit, you'll be chopped off and thrown into the fire. So this is what I find really interesting, is God established Israel as his holy people. So God had actually already made a promise that Israel would be his, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So you 
you come to this understanding that if God says something, he's going to complete it, right? But then you have John the Baptist saying, you're going to be cut off. Well, you find in, in Job 14, it says, even a tree has more hope. If it's cut down, it'll sprout again, grow new branches. Though it has, its roots have grown through its roots, have grown in the old earth, and its stump decays. <laughs> ah, though its roots have grown up in the earth, and its stump decays, at the sin of water, it will bud and sprout again like a new seedling. Meaning that if something's cut off, that doesn't mean God's done. That doesn't mean God's done with you, right? If, if you've made mistakes in the past, that doesn't mean God's done with you. It just means you need a little bit of water, and you need to start growing, and you need to get, get to moving, right? Amen. Continued. Um, <laughs> now I'm reading you my... <laughs> all right, I got to stop telling you guys what's all my what's all in my notes here. So I'm going to just dive a little bit deeper into this example. So in Romans 11, that's where I was at before. Romans 11:17, Paul says, "But some of these branches of Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off." And then later on, he says in Romans eleven twenty five through 29, he says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourself. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Meaning that there's a specific time period that God's uh, denoted to that, that tree being cut down not being watered, not growing, right? And people can look and they can say, well, God abandoned those people. But if he was so willing to cut off even those who had a promise, how much more willing would it be to cut you off, right? So you have to be very, very careful. You have to be very, very careful on attaching yourself to the will of God. And it, it, all, it continues and it says, but this will only last until the number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all of Israel will be and so all of Israel will be saved, meaning God has a promise to save all of Israel. God has a promise for that tree to come up and it to grow and to produce fruit. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come to Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness, and this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Verse twenty eight. Many of the people Many people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet, they are still the people God loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's, for God's gifts and his calling can never be withdrawn. And that, and that right there, that's the verse that I really want to focus on. God's gift can never be withdrawn Never be withdrawn. That's exactly what, what I'm trying to get at, is if God says something, he's going to accomplish it. If God says something, he's going to accomplish it. If you're still alive, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. Amen. Amen. So this is the nature of God. When God establishes something, he establishes it for life. He establishes it for eternity. So if God's told you something, don't let that dream die. Don't, don't let that dream die. If God's told you, this is what you are to do, don't let that dream die. 
Allow God to water that seed. Allow God to birth that seed in you. Allow that thing that God's put in you, that you are like God. You're made in the image of God. You, are, you can create things. You are capable of things. If God's a creator and you are his son, that means you have the capacity to create, just like our father. Amen. And so that, that's Onan. He, he refused to create, so you have to be the person who creates. You have to be a true child of God, one who is willing to create, willing, someone who can actually take what's in you and produce it in the real world. Produce it in the real world, whether it be building a church like Pastor John's done here, right? Or whether it be writing a book, and I, and I can repeat it all night long. But there is something inside of you, each one of you, that you are capable of doing and, and it's your duty, and it's your purpose. It's God's purpose for your life that you get that, that capacity. You get that capacity to come out of you. You get that capacity to, to go in its fullness, that you run with God, that God will get behind you in what you're capable of doing. And, and, and you just think about how important that is because God, God is one who wants to create, and God's also the one saying, I'm going to back you, Right? And so, so many of us, we, we, strike, we come back and we say, we say, I, I can just do things smaller. But the dream inside of you is much bigger than that, right? And, and so many of us, we have this self-doubt, and we have to get that doubt out of here because that doubt separates us from God. It's the enemy of faith. And we have to understand, God is the one. God is the one who is with us. And who could be against us? Who, who could stand against us if we are the ones capable of doing all things? Jesus said, if you believe, anything is possible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so if God planted something in you, don't let that seed die. You have to believe God to make that seed happen. Yes, that's true. Because God's the one who gives the water for that seed to grow. Or for that tree that's been cut down, for it to grow again. That's what it said in Job. If, that, if, the, if the roots in the ground are still there, all you have to do is put some water on it, and that tree will grow. Hallelujah. And so we, <laughs> now you can understand. I, I feel like you guys are starting to understand what I'm saying. That this, that this isn't just a, a message where I can come up here and say, you know, this is, this is a wonderful message. This is something that I think you guys need to hear. No, this is like, this is going to be your life. Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There, there's something in you that has to be for the kingdom. And if you just live righteously and you pursue that thing that God's put in you, all these things that you worry about in life that you think would not be there because you're pursuing what God's put inside of you, he will provide to you. God is a provider. God is the one who's going to provide to you. And we have to get to this place where it's, we have to understand God is with us. God is for us. God has made us in such a way that we should be creators. That we're not just, that we're not just going through this life and accomplishing nothing. That when we come to our Father in heaven, we will have something to show to him. That he will say, good job, my faithful servant. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so I'm going to go to Matthew 12 here. 
<laughs> anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Doesn't that, doesn't that just echo? That's Jesus speaking, that's in red. Doesn't that just echo what I'm saying here? It's saying, if you're not with me, you're working against me, right? And how dangerous is that? So many people, they want to go their own way. They want to be sheep that go their own way. But in actuality, what they're saying is, Lord, I want to be against you. If you decide to go your own way, or if you allow something in you, disloyalty or any of those things, what you're saying is, Lord, I want to work against you directly, and I, and I think that's just such an interesting concept because because I, I feel like in America we're so independently minded we don't bow to a king right and, and so what we've lacked so much in in the there's some groups in America that know this still, but we lack honor. We lack loyalty. We lack these things. We lack the things that would knit us together regardless. There's a, I have it later here, but, you know, I, I'll give you this example. David, David was a man who refused to kill Saul. Refused to kill him. Because he says, I will not touch the anointed one of God. So David was a man who had loyalty. Right? And so David went through, and he went through chaos. I think it was about 40 years, if I'm right. Where he's going and living. He's being chased by Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. And he, he doesn't hurt Saul. And, and, and what David does is he establishes loyalty to God. And you know what happened with David's men? When David sinned with Bathsheba and killed his commanding officer, his men didn't come up and kill him. There wasn't a coup. Do you guys know how, it, like, in leadership, do you know how important it is to be a person who is with God, who establishes these things, who is righteous? We, we have to be somebody who, like what Jesus is saying, if you're not with me, you're working against me. Well, what that's saying is, if your loyalty isn't with me, you're not with me. If, you're, if your honor is not with me, you're not with me. We have to be Christians who are saying, I will work for the kingdom of God. We have to allow for each other's faults, right? Because David was a man with a lot of faults. A wonderful man, a man after God's own heart. But he was a man who had a lot of faults. But what he established is something that was eternal. He established loyalty. He established honor. And he established these things that, that even his men followed in his footsteps. When, when, when David sinned greatly, not like, I don't know about you, but it's one thing if you commit adultery and it's another thing if you kill the dude. Right? And, and, and the men, they saw, they saw that loyalty in David. And they said, let the Lord, he was an example to his men, let the Lord take care of it. I wait on the Lord. I trust in the Lord. All those who trust in the Lord will find they're living in righteousness. 
Amen. So by David's example, David taught his men how to live in righteousness. I don't know how I got on that, but that wasn't in my notes, so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 9, 29, and 24 through 27. You guys glad you all are here tonight? Well, you guys make me feel good. (laughs) I know I'm no Pastor John, but um, I'm very excited, like I said. So, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only the person, only one person gets the prize? So run to win. And all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others myself, I will be disqualified. You know, when you start thinking about what is Paul telling these people? Paul is telling these people, you don't just run because you're casually running. You're not just a cross-country runner where you're forest gumping all the way across the country three times. You, you know, that, that's not why you run. You run to win a race. You, how, how, how much purpose did Forrest Gump have in his running? He didn't. How meaningful was it? I guess people watch the movie and they think it's meaningful, but really it's just stupid. You're just going to waste your life running for no reason. No, you do things to discipline your body. We have to be Christians that do things on purpose, right? We have to be people who do things on purpose. What Paul is saying is a Christian does things on purpose, right? And he does them to win. We can't be people like, (laughs) and I tied this into Matthew where he's talking about, if you're not with me, you're against me. That means that you have to intentionally, intentionally be with God. You have to look and see what is God trying to accomplish. Whether it's in you or somebody else's dream, you have to intentionally tie yourself to that thing. And you have to run. And you have to run like you're going to win. We're not just starting a small church here. Like, th- we have to understand this. This isn't, this isn't a gospel for Huntington, Texas. This is a gospel for the world. This is a gospel that will send missionaries to other countries. This, this is a, a gospel that sends missionaries to other countries. Go first to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right? And so this has to be a place where the Spirit of God will reside and build up a strong church that is large, that, that is growing, that, that builds people up and sends people out into the world like we do every day, but everywhere along the world, because the word of God is meant to multiply. If there's one man here that has something, right, where John's going to get something this week, he's going to get a spirit of the Lord. Like, it's to multiply when he gets back here. 
And so everything that you learn in this place, everything that is here, everything that's going on, everything that John teaches you, everything that you hear through teaching and preaching, the fivefold ministry, it's meant to multiply in you. It's meant to send you out into the world. And, and the same concept is, it, it's meant to get you to the place where you can live in faith, where whatever's inside of you can be created on the outside. This is a training ground. What this church is, is is a training ground. Because someday, maybe, I pray, that many of you, if not all of you, are lifelong members to this church. I, I do pray that. Lifelong members. That, that's, that's my usual prayer point. Where it's like, Lord, I pray that the members here, they have an encounter with you, that they would be lifelong members. Lifelong members in your church. And if y'all are here, y'all hear me yelling, walking back and forth. And you guys are like, what's he saying? But... That's what I'm saying. Lifelong members in this church. Because what is that saying? That's saying that somebody saw God and they teamed up intentionally with God for the rest of their life to accomplish his will. This is partnering successfully with God's will. That's what this message is. Is somebody who will intentionally attach themselves to what God wants to do through their life, through them, and they will see to it that they get it done. Amen. And also, I, it's something really important is we have to be mature Christians. The only person I know that runs around like Forrest Gump is my daughter. She's not very mature, okay? We have to grow up from being baby Christians who go here from here to here to there. We have to be more than Forrest Gump. We have to be people who are mature, who say, no, I'm going to enter in this race and I'm going to win this race. We have to have that Olympian mindset. We have to be running to win because you don't run to get second place. You don't run to get third place. You don't. And we're definitely, (laughs) somebody might not like this, but it's not like you're in women's sports and there's a man right there that says he's a girl. That isn't, that isn't what we're doing here. (laughs) Like this is a race where apparently you are the man because God's behind you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. But you have God's grace behind you. We have to get to the point where we're running Christians, where you're running next to other Christians trying to beat other Christians. That's what God's plan is in this life, that you would have that you would have the best in life, that your land would be flowing with milk and honey, that you would be the people that are the best at your job, that you would be flowing in prosperity. Because God didn't just raise you up to let you be poor. That, that, isn't, that isn't what he did. He freed you. He set you free. You should have life and life abundantly. Repeat that. I will have life and I will have it abundantly. Amen. Amen. The Lord will see to it that only the faithful and honorable will have the, promise, have the promises fulfilled in their life. We are destroying this myth that it doesn't matter how far you go and it doesn't matter what you do and it doesn't matter how you live. The Lord's not chasing you down. Like we have to, 
We have to destroy that myth. The Lord has a job for you to do. And you, you have the choice. The Lord isn't the one making a choice for you. The Lord will help you. If you draw near to God, God will come near to you. But we have to destroy this myth that it doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter what choices you make. There is a price to pay. Like I said earlier, the tree can grow back, but will that tree ever be as big as it could have been if it never got cut down? That, no, no, it can't. But it may produce fruit someday, but it will never be to the full extent as it was intended to. And so we have to understand that there's a price for sin. There's a price for going your own way, even if you repent. We have to understand that. We have to take that myth and we have to destroy that myth because that's a doctrine that makes people lethargic and it makes people in sin and it makes people live their own life not devoted to God but devoted to some other idea, some other thing where they pursue mammon or they pursue, <laughs> they pursue women or they pursue whatever it is. We have to be a type of person, a type, a type. I keep saying a type. Because there is a type of person who is faithful, right? There's a type of person who is, who seeks, who is a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart. We have to be that type of person. We have to attach ourselves to all these things. We have to destroy this myth. We have to stand up for what's righteous. We have to. We have to chase the kingdom. There should be no excuse why you're not a soul winner. If, math, if Mark 16, 17 says, go into all the world and make disciples, you should be a person making disciples if you call yourself a Christian. Amen. <laughs> and the myth, you, and this myth, that you cannot be cut off for being disobedient. I cannot, I cannot reiterate that enough. There's so many people so many people you'll talk to, they, they think they're right with God and they're smoking four packs of cigarettes in one swoop. And <laughs> Jamie laughed. Yeah. Woo. But no, my, my point is, there, there is so many people, they think they can just live their own life separate from God. And they think it's all okay. It, and it's not. It really isn't. Not that I don't care for people. Not that I don't want people... Like, I know people have gone through things, and I know a lot of people, they don't have shepherds. That was a very large problem when it came to the Old Testament, is the shepherds, they weren't teaching the people, and the people were being destroyed for a lack of knowledge, right? And so we have to have true shepherds. But when you have the fivefold ministry here in this church, you don't really have an excuse. And I wanted to address this issue and I, and I heard this from uh, Dag Haywood Mills. And he says, do you want to know if it's God that's speaking to you? Anybody want to know that? Okay. So the first scripture that I, uh, that I want to bring up, just as a, an example, is Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 11. It says, history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing new under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. Never, nothing is ever truly new. 
We just don't remember what had happened in the past. And in, in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. Right? And here's another scripture. In Genesis 1.11, it says, These seeds will produce of its kind. <laughs> These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees in which they came. You can know if God's speaking to you because the word of God is forever and it bears fruit forever. If the word of God is this thing still standing, if the word of God is a thing that doesn't change, I should say it like this, the word of God is a thing that doesn't change. You can know if God's speaking to you because it's a thing that is stable. And I'll tell you like this, you know, all this COVID stuff, if you guys don't know it, I lost my job for standing up against all this COVID stuff in my own, in my own workplace. And, and I said, you know what, like, I'll just be completely honest with you. I, I, I looked at everything that was going down, and, and, I, and they were requiring all these masks, and they were doing all this stuff, and they were saying, if this person feels unsafe, then you got to do all this stuff. And, and, and I just looked at myself, and I said, Lord, that's evil. I, I, to have somebody that feels a certain way dictate my own conviction is just evil. And so what I ended up doing is I told, talked to my manager and I said, look, I can't, just, I can't just do this. Like on principle, this just is ridiculous. You're going to come in here and you're going to tell me that if you feel like I'm a danger to you, then I have to wear a mask. Something that doesn't protect you. Something that's illogical. Something that is provable. And also there was no guidelines on what mask you had to wear. And I told them, I was like, if I can wear a chain link fence on my, ma- on my mouth, and I know it's kind of a, a large analogy, but a chain link fence as a mask, and you're saying it works because if it's the criteria, which I read, you're an idiot. Like, if all I have to do is meet your criteria and you think every mask is just as effective, you're an idiot. If you really want to protect, if you really were in the business of protecting people, you would have better guidelines. And I said, this, isn't, this is a moral issue. This is not an issue of keeping people safe. And, and I can't just go along with it because it's became political. And, and it's just like, I cannot, I cannot go against my own conscience. I can't pretend to help people when I'm doing nothing at all. It, that, that's just, it's dumb. I'm not just going to wear a mask because you feel a certain way. It's dumb. It's completely dumb. And I talked to the Lord about it and said, Lord, I, I can't, my conviction, it, I can't do it. I talked to my manager. My manager elevates HR. Next thing I know, I don't have a job. I'm just saying. And, um, and you know, a lot of those people, they're just doing what they say. They're, they're, you, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I, there's not very many people who stood up. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Whole country. Bowing to a statue made no sense. What is that statue going to do for you? Some man made the statue. You really think that like, the statue has more power than you do when you can create the statue? What are you going to ask him? <laughs> like, and, that, and it was just like, what are you going to do? What do you, you think that's your prosperity? The same thing with money. People worship money. Why? Man's the one who creates it. That's what we're getting at, right? It's like if you have something in you, it should produce something, right? Well, if, if you have something in you that's truly from God, 
and truly something that replicates, it will produce money. But, what ended up happening is I told the Lord, I said, no, this won't work, this won't work, this won't work. And the Lord kept on telling me. He says, my word's true, my word's true, my word's true. And I just let the Lord speak to me and I said, look, I don't care what you say. And I told HR this, I said, I don't care what you say. This isn't right. Whatever you guys are doing, it isn't right because it, it doesn't line up with logic. It's not true. You're, you're just saying you're helping people, but you're really not. And, and so when it came down to it, I, I parted ways peacefully. Didn't make a ruckus, didn't do anything. And, and, the, and the company let me go six months later, almost to the day. Every reason I was fired was removed. Every single reason. Every policy, rejected. Where, when I was standing in that room and telling them, I can't do this, and they were telling me, OSHA's coming up with guidelines. This was months, this was before it was on the news. OSHA's coming up with guidelines that they're going to require vaccination. On their part, I was a liability. But God's word rang true. God's word was the thing that was true because regardless of what it looked like, regardless of what you saw, God's word was true. That's how you can know if it's God speaking to you, is that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what man says, that God's word will be true. See, God, God's something that you step into and you stand on. And when you stand on it, you find that you're walking on the water, that you're, you're stepping on a word. You have to first believe it because you're not going to see if it's true. You have to have the faith to step into it. And what you'll find is God will do what he said. So if it's not against this sin here, this is what John was getting at the other day. Live your life in the sheepfold. This is your sheepfold. This is the boundaries of your life. If you live in that, you have all freedom. You have all ways that you could live. If you live in this, right? And God will get behind you. And that's what we're like... Christians, they're, they're, they're going through their life and they're, they're stepping here and they're stepping there, but they're, they're doing it not on purpose and they're not producing something and they're, not, and they're not going through life with the intention that I'm going to seek the kingdom of God above all else and his righteousness. They have a loose life and they can never produce the fruit that God intended. God can't get behind somebody who's not holy. First Peter 1, 23-24 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is grass, and the glory of man as a flower, as a flower of the grass. And all the glory of man as a flower of the grass, and the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That's what I'm saying. How do you know that it's the Lord speaking to you? The word of the Lord will stand forever. Will, it will. It's something you can stand on. And you might not understand when you go through it. You might not understand what you're doing. You might not understand that you're actually walking on water at that point. But so long, so long as you keep your eyes on the word of God and you stand firm, you'll find that the word of God is true and every man is a liar if he contradicts it.
<laughs> what I find interesting, he says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. This is the word. God is not a liar. God is faithful. God will accomplish what he said his word to do. And if people go against it, he will still accomplish it. But I am appealing to you that you step behind God. You say, God, I want you to use me in this in time of time. In this in time. In this final hour of the last days. I want to be a part of what you have for me. Of what you have for this church, what you have for this world, what you have. Other things that are established for eternity, the tree of life is found in Genesis 3, last chapter of Revelation. It says, in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits and yielded, uh, and each tree yielded of its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were healing for the nations. It's just another example. If God establishes something, it will be for eternity. God is the one that you can stand on. And if he made a tree, and that tree still exists from the first book to the last book, how much more is he going to do that in your life? How much more is that word going to be able to stand on in your own life? If God made something so simple as a tree that would last for all eternity, how much more will his word last for all eternity? How much more can you stand on that? Well, that was my intro. So, uh, but I, I think I just want to cover just a couple more things. Y'all good? Okay. I, I just want to cover just a couple things as quickly as possible. My first point here, when the Lord does something, it is to multiply. Okay? Isaiah 60, 21 through 22. All your people will be righteous. They will possess their land forever. For I will plant them with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. The smallest family will become a thousand people and the tiniest group will become a mighty nation. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. If you are under this ministry, you are to become just like your teacher. You are to multiply. This is called multiplying. This is called training. Luke 6, 39 through 40. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teachers, but students who are fully trained become just like their teacher. So it matters what ministry you're under, like we were saying earlier. But this is, this is the purpose of you being in here. It's for you to get whatever whatever is in me or whatever's in John or whatever John brings from Florida it is for you to get that because that will be a, an answer to your success in life. Because if he's successful, we have to get this. I was telling you about honor and loyalty earlier. If he's successful, you will be successful. If you decide you want to do a church split, what's that mean for your own life? Hazards to avoid. First hazard, spilling your seed because of pride. That was from Onan. It's an enemy that the tool, uh, this is the enemy with this tool of offense tried to stop the coming Messiah. 
The enemy was unsuccessful and he's always a loser. So don't team up with a loser. <laughs> Repeat, I, <laughs> I will not team up with a loser. Okay, hazard two. Do not let the enemy get in your head so that you commit an act of evil. John 13, 27. It says, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him and Jesus told him, hurry and, hurry and do what you're going to do. That means you can let Satan into your head. You can let him influence you. But in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, For the, our weapons are not carnal, but of mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience with obedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see that it's the fivefold ministry to train up the saints in the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4. I know I'm going through this fast. Ephesians 4 says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, the fivefold, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, you come here to get spiritually trained. Yet I tell you that's not all. That's not the only reason you come here. In Luke 2, 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with who? God and man. God and man. I'll give you another verse. In Proverbs, Proverbs 3, it says, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then, then you will find favor with both God and people. And you will earn a good reputation. There are two parts in your life, a physical life and a spiritual life. But you need to know this. And this is what I'll end with. But godliness neglects neither one of these areas. Godliness neglects neither area, physical or spiritual. See, overly spiritual people are typically deadbeat poor. Deadbeat poor. They, like, they're just, they spiritualize everything. They can't accomplish anything in life because everything's too spiritual. Right? But spirituality is not bad. But then you have overly carnal people. They're just without God. There's people who are physical. They, all they care about is the physical. They're driven by their own nature. And so, like I said, godliness is, neglects neither one of these areas. It says in 1 Timothy, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable in all things. Having the promise of the life that now is, and which is to come. Meaning that you're coming here to get trained in godliness. 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 It, meaning, for your success in life, it's profitable in all things. It should be profitable in your money. should be profitable in your marriage. should be profitable in your sons. should be profitable in your daughters. shall be profitable in your workplace. shall be profitable in what you do. Everything that's in you that is of God should produce a profit. 
Meaning it should add to your life, not take away. Meaning everything from God in your life adds to your life. Amen. Okay, Luke 16. I'm just going pretty quick, so. You guys uh, getting something out of this? All right. I know that I can. I also need to. Oh, that would help. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, Luke 16, 1 through 9. You got it up there? Cool, thank you. Uh, Jesus told this, this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who, who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him and said, what, what is this I hear about you? Get your report in order and because you're going to be fired. The manager thought, thought to himself, what now? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home and, uh, when I am fired. Y'all are following this? Yeah. All right. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. And the manager told him, take out your bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. He did it again. The rich, um, verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonesty of the rascal for being so shrewd. For being so shrewd. And it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than the children of the light. Think about what he's saying. Think, think, about, think about this. Jesus is saying that the good man who hired the other man admired the shrewdness in a man, his ability to use physical resources, his ability to take something that's going around. Like Jacob. Think about Jacob. Jacob, was cur- or Jacob stole his birthright from his brother, right? And what happened? His mother said, hey, go do this. And you know what he replied? He said, but if I do that and he catches me, I would be cursed. She says, let the curse fall on me. He was a man who knew how to get what he wanted because he knew how to say specifically to other people to get them to move and do certain things. See, you should be able to physically move things in life that work in your favor, right? And so (laughs) you don't want to manipulate people, but you should be able to get what you want in life. Right? You should be able to have a way with talking. You should be able to have a way with speaking. You should be able to have these things. Those aren't spiritual things. They're not. It says here in verse 9, Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. Meaning, use your worldly resources. Use them shrewdly. Use them to your ability. Use them. Use them. Like, I feel like a lot of people, when I say there's something in you that will produce a profit, something in you that you could produce that would produce a profit. But so many people, they're unwilling to do that because they think money's bad. Money's not bad. The love of money is bad. Trying to do something for money, that's the bad thing. But using your worldly resources to your advantage, that's not a bad thing. 
It, that should be something that you do as a Christian. That should be something that we, that we understand. That you should be able to use your worldly resources to increase, to do better, and to use them for the favor of other people. And, you know, you think about why do you give? Well, it's to, to be given back to, right? Because you know if you give, you shall have more. And if you have more and you're a giver, what's that mean? You're going to give more. That's a shrewdness. That's a shrewdness. You have to have that in you. You have to have that type of capacity in you where you start thinking, how can I produce more? How can I make this more? It's capitalism. The Bible teaches you capitalism. Capitalism is shrewd. So I've read socialist books. I've read parts of Karl Marx. and I've read these things. They are against this type of thinking. Why? Because they're full of the devil. You have to be shrewd because it's the way that the world works. Jesus is saying the people that are spiritual, they're not shrewd like the people in the world. They're less shrewd. And because of that, they're always, they're always lacking. We have to be a people that are trained up not just in spiritually things, but, but in physical things. Now you see why I was getting to this point. Because I, I really, I, I think it's just really important. But, um... You must understand the mission of a ministry, this ministry, is to give you a successful life, spiritually and physically, to be a priest and to be a success. You don't, they're not separable. You have to have godliness for this life and the life to come. For spiritual things and for physical things, you have to understand that your training here isn't just like me coming up here and talking, I know you guys look at it, but this trains me in ways that are for the world and for the spiritual things. We have to understand that they can't be separated. They have to be used effectively. My last hazard, do not reject spiritual training. It will be the supernatural portion in your life. It will be the supernatural, supernatural. What, what it, it's not natural, it's more than natural. It will be the supernatural portion of your life. Many people reject the supernatural aspect of life and, and only live by what they see instead of living on every word from God. They don't live on the word of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but he lives on every word that the Lord speaks. We have to get to the place where we, <laughs> you're stepping into the water. You're going to walk on the water. If you're going to have the supernatural portion that God has for your life, you have to start walking on the water. You have to start walking in the supernatural. And godliness gives that extra edge to you that no one else has. Because godliness is supernatural. So, how can you have godliness without holiness? And how can you be holy without the Holy Spirit? And how can you receive the Holy Spirit without faith? And how can you please God without faith? It's well, I think I'm sitting in there. <laughs> because I've, I've talked for a very long time. <laughs> but thank you guys so much. Uh, Amen. Amen. I just want to bless you guys and... Uh,
we'll end, and then Antonio will play that funky music. <laughs> and uh, Lord, I thank you so much that I got to come up here. Thank you for speaking through me. Thank you so much that this opportunity, and I pray that you bless our pastor as he's out of town. Lord, bring, bring him back with something very powerful, something eternal that we can add to our lives, something that will teach us shrewdness in this life and in the spiritual life, that we may obtain everything that you have for us. Lord, I bless these people. May you, may you guide them in every part of their life. Show them how to increase so that your kingdom can increase. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.